Hi, I'm Jamie. And I'm Charlotte. And this is Suspicious or Delicious. We're your audio aunts from Aotearoa, serving up questionable food, weird history, and a bit of profanity on the side. So this podcast might not be suitable for ankle biters. Let's dig in. Um, yeah, he's been record. Uh, he's been updated since, which is really cool. So, oh, that's good. Yeah, Craig the boss shit together now. I know he's got such a cute little teddy bear face, and then you're like, "Don't be fooled. He's an evil fuck." <laughs> he, he he will tell you he's recording you for an hour, but not <laughs> record you for an hour. Thanks, and you will lose priceless content that you really don't want to have to re-record because you'll miss all of your comedy cues and <laughs> and it won't be funny the second thing because you already know what's going to happen and it's really hot in these rooms <laughs> everything just all of the above <laughs> podcasting is harder than you think guys there's a lot of <laughs> sitting in a really hot room with all the windows shut <laughs> um so just before we get started I just wanted to let you know that I made myself a cup of tea and it's bourbon tea. It's bourbon with like whiskey tea. And it has made my in like it's made my insides so molten hot that I literally just had to go and change clothes. <laughs> oh my god. That reminds me. You talking about bourbon. I went to a cocktail bar I hadn't been to before on Friday. And oh my god, tell me more. <laughs> and I had a miso old fashioned. Shut up. Tell Wait me more. This. Okay, so it's barrel aged bourbon washed. This is what they call it washed with white miso, nougat, and milky bar. An old-fashioned. So it's just like straight bourbon. Yeah. But it's bourbon that has been infused with nougat, white miso, and milky bar. Did you taste the salty umami of miso in it? I'm so intrigued. It's it's incredible. The mouthfeel, because they they make it themselves. They do all the infusing themselves. It's that little culprit. And... I asked because I'm nosy and I was like, I need to know how they did this. Uh, And they walked me through this huge process about how they put the things in different bourbons and then they store them at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time and then they strain them to get all the fats and the sugars and stuff out and then they mix them to a certain amount and all of this. Um, But the mouthfeel, if you had your eyes closed... And you took a sip. Close my eyes right now. Close your eyes. Imagine you're taking a sip of a drink that smells a little bit like, it smells like bourbon, but like it has a sweetness and a a salty miso-ness to it. But then the mouthfeel is of milk. What? Like cold, smooth, creamy milk. But it looks like bourbon. That's insane. That sounds like it would really fuck with your brain and your taste buds while you're drinking it. My mind was really struggling because it was incredibly delicious. Like, I'm going to go back just to have another one of those. 
oh my god please take me with you and it looked just like bourbon just like straight bourbon didn't look like there was anything special about it but the flavor and the mouthfeel were insane insane that sounds right up my alley <laughs> like <laughs> I, as i was drinking it i was thinking of you because i know you love an old-fashioned and i yeah. was like ah, oh, this is like i literally I had one last night like it does not sound as good as what you have just described but yeah i i i i'll drink two drinks when i'm out and about and i want cocktails and um a martini or an old-fashioned and if there is a a slight twist on either of those i'm like straight for it my eyeballs will just be like oh. yeah okay we're definitely going to little culprit then because they have a martini section of the menu and some of them come with like pickled red onions and stuff Ooh, oh my god i'm so keen where is little culprit in auckland it's yeah it's like a a sister bar you know culprit the restaurant no Oh, okay. So culprits, I've only been there once because it's a little bit fancy for me, if I'm honest. Um, incredible food. It's on... We probably don't need to go into this while we're recording. But anyway, it's in, it's in it's Auckland Central. It's a foodie Central. podcast. <laughs> if you're in Auckland, it's on the corner of... I think it's described as being on the corner of Wyndham and Queen Street. It's just up Wyndham Street. Um... And it's just across the road from Culprit, and it's it looks like a little hole in the wall sort of whiskey bar. But then they've got this downstairs area that's also very small, but has booths. It's very intimate. It's got very low lighting. It's. I felt like that drink made me feel like I should have been wearing a smoking jacket and velvet loafers sitting in front of a fire. Oh my god! Yes. Um, I love, I love when I'm literally writing it down. I'm just writing down little culprits so I can remember later, but I totally Don't you dare go there without me. (laughs) I'm not going to. I love when a drink or something, you know how I was talking, we both were actually on Instagram about perfume. I love Mm -hmm. it when something sensory like taste or scent or whatever completely transports you to another place in time in your mind. And you're like, this is Mm -hmm. what would fit perfectly with this thing. In your case, it's drinking this beverage with a smoking jacket and a cigar or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love that. I love it so much because I think as well, I'm such a visual person. And so putting these things together is just how my brain understands something (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely but highly recommend uh that was just my follow-on from your bourbon tea and i was like i have to tell you about the old-fashioned must not forget i'm i'm so glad you did that sounds bloody amazing um loves a little loves a new cocktail as well and just like a cool spot where one of my favorite things is like a bar that's cool, right? And being like, this bar is so awesome. I loved it there. But you have to go there and get this one thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what else you order there. You, you need to go in and you need to make going to get this one thing the event. 
So whether it's they're really known for their spicy margarita. Do you know what I mean? That's like, don't worry about anything else on the menu. Try that later, but just get the spicy margarita. I love that. I love it when somewhere is known for something. So like, I think forever now, little culprit to me will be known as, even if I never go there, the place with the miso whiskey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like I had quite a few drinks when we were there, but that is the one that I'm like, this made it. This made the experience. I love that for you. Um, Did you see anything? Were you with anyone else? I'm just going to keep this going for a little bit longer just because I'm so intrigued. But did you see any Um, other awesome things on the menu that stood out that you were like, I've got to get that next time? Yeah, well, I was there with my friend Alan, who used to work at a place that you and I both worked. Mm -hmm. Um, And we hadn't caught up for like eight months because of COVID. So we were like, yes, cocktails, let's do this. Um, and it was great, and I had lots of drinks. Um, I took a little photo of some of the menus so I could tell you and James, because you both love a martini. Mm. Let me bring it up on my phone so I can tell you. Uh, so there is, I had the salty dog, which is rhubarb-infused gin, grapefruit, and a salty rim, which was simple but delicious. I had... Salty rim, mate. I had another one, which I can't remember what it was, but it had charcoal in it, and it had, like, a foamy top. Okay. That was also very interesting. But what I thought would interest you is there is one called a Martins, which is beeswax gin, sweet vermouth, maraschino cherry, and bitters, or there is... Uh, one made with celery gin, a celery gin martini, mm-hmm. or one made with scape craze vodka, lilit rouge, and pickled red onion. I'm so intrigued as to what beeswax gin is. Is beeswax a brand, or is beeswax what they've used? I don't know. See, this but is what I mean. My mind this is, is what I mean. Like, I need to go and try them all. Exactly. Okay. All right. We will make a date to go yes. and um I will have take you to the Miso Old Fashioned. Yes, please. And then maybe we could do a little bar hop over to Our Land is Alive mm-hmm. because you and I have been mm-hmm. talking we've been about talking that. about going to get a yeah. beverage there. Yeah, for so long. Um and on that, I guess we should probably get started with that. Yeah, I guess so. Episode, Some right? background <laughs> for why this intro was so long is because we are once again recording uh, remotely, so we have not had a huge catch-up beforehand like we do when we record in person. So welcome to our normal conversations. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Um, I think this is, what, this is episode five oh, of season six. We're talking yes. about endangered food. Yep. Yep. Um, we are still in the extinct and endangered season, but we are now towards the end and we have, yeah, come up to endangered foods now. Um, so yes. it's very interesting. And I believe um, you're going first, aren't you? Yes, I am. And I actually had a food for us to eat for this episode, but because we're uh, recording remotely, I'll save that until another time for you. Um, okay, so if, like us, you are 
stumbling through your 30s, trying to do all that you think adults are supposed to do, you might be shocked to hear that alongside unreasonable house prices and global warming, you've also been handed a life full of second-rate bananas. <laughs> oh, okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> you might be flabbergasted by the fact that unless you live in a tropical paradise filled with backyard banana trees, all the bananas you've ever eaten were probably Cavendish bananas. And they were the world's second choice. A replacement banana. A substitute for a more appealing variety. Appealing? Oh, appealing. You see what I did there? Drop it. (laughs) I'm not sorry. Um, We've all. I'm hearing Beyonce's song. I'm not sorry. I'm not not sorry. That's what I'm hearing. Um, we've all been eating the rebound relationship of commercial bananas, and we didn't even know. That's so fucked up. So fucked up. Because the OG commercially grown banana was not the Cavendish. It was the gross Michael Banana, and his friends called him Big Mike. And today, I'll be telling you about Big Mike, how he lost his spot as top banana, and became a rare, fruity unicorn sought after by obsessive internet foodies and exotic plant collectors. You can tell me about Big Mike's banana any day. I will. (laughs) So, (laughs) in the late 1780s, a French naturalist, Nicolas Bourdon, took some banana roots from Southeast Asia to a botanical garden on the Caribbean island of Martinique. In 1835, another French dude, a botanist named Jean-Francois Poyer, I'm just delivering that with confidence, I did not I loved that so much, I thought that was great, Poyer. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Took some of the fruit grown from Bourdin's roots from Martinique to Jamaica, where bananas really took off and went on to be propagated for Costa Rica and other Central American locations. At some point during this, they were named the Gross Michael Banana, um, because I feel like we can safely assume that they weren't called that in Southeast Asia. But yeah, I couldn't find I anything that said when they changed the name. I'm so, yeah, that's it's quite an interesting name, isn't it? It is, because it makes me think about like gross instead of gross, and I'm like the Gross Michael Banana. Why was it gross? I'm, I know, yeah, that's what I think of too. And I'm like, I just think putting the word sort of gross with anything food related is just, it's just not the best combination of words to be using. Because if you hear it, you don't know that it only has one S and you're like, the gross Michael banana? I don't get it. (laughs) Was it that bad? I mean, no wonder we don't eat it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So by the 1870s, gross Michael or Big Mike is the banana in America. It looks pretty much like uh, the banana that you probably have going slightly brown and spotty in your fruit bowl right now, only a tad girthier. Um, It had a creamy texture and a tangy, complex flavor, and people went bananas for it. A tangy flavor? Yeah, like a more tangy, complex, deep flavor. 
than that, our current banana. I'm trying to think of like a banana, but a tangy version of it. And I'm like, tangy is not a describing word that I would like. That's not an adjective, uh, an adjective that I would ever pair with a banana. Like the flavor just, yeah. just doesn't seem tangy to me. I mean, unless you're eating like a really, you know, in some countries how they eat green bananas. Um, but even then, they're not really tangy. But now they're more starchy. Yeah, they're just like a dry tasting. Like tangy is citrus to me, and citrus is not banana at all. Yeah. Weird. Okay, sorry, carry on. Oh, good. <laughs> so the Gross Michael is killing it. A Gross Michael banana lovingly cradled the ice cream in the first ever banana split. Fun fact. Um, Banana-flavoured foods taste weird and fake to us now because the chemist who invented banana flavouring based it on the sweeter, tastier Gross Michael, a banana which we have never tasted. That's so interesting. So, oh my god. Okay. I have so many questions. Carry on. <laughs> so, the Gross Michael banana has a higher concentration of isoamyl acetate the chemical used for artificial banana flavoring than the Cavendish banana, which is why when we eat banana flavoring, we're like, this tastes like a weird banana. This doesn't taste like a banana banana. But it's just because we've never had the banana that the flavoring came from. Mm, yeah, artificial banana to me is like banana dusted with powder and vanilla and a, a bit of like sweeter and like... And apparently that's what this banana tasted like. Oh my god, I'm so intrigued. I would love to have a fresh gross Michael banana. Mm-hmm. So Big Mike was killing the banana game until things went really, really bad. Because you see, wild bananas have seeds. Commercial bananas don't have seeds because they're just a yellow version of the clone army from Star Wars. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they look like yellow dicks, but they're shooting blanks. Mm, there's nothing there. Nope. And guess what? Having fields and fields of clones makes your crops super vulnerable. Because if something can kill one plant, it can kill all the plants. Bye, bananas. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that is exactly what happened to our girthy creamy impotent mate the big mike banana in 1874 this fuck boy called fusarium oxysporum cubense we'll call it fuck for short foc love it yep it rolled into town and started knocking up banana trees left right and center it is an asshole fungus disease, and even though it was discovered in Australia, it's commonly known as Panama disease, either because, so either because people are racist or because it decimated Panama on a more memorable scale. So Fock kills banana plants from the inside out, like... When you get stuck with a drunk guy telling you about his exit a party and it kills your soul and then eventually all of you wants to die. Mm -hmm. It's just like that. 
Painful. Painful. First the banana leaves. Uh, first the trees. Blah. Oh my god, what am I saying? First it's- the leaves. That is the word I want, leaves. First the leaves of the banana trees stop growing. And then they curl and they wilt. And eventually the tree dries out and completely dies. Because all of this fungus creeps up from the contaminated soil like that um, into the banana plant. So the banana plant, in a misguided attempt to stop the fungus from spreading, plugs up the conduits that carry the nutrients from its root to its leaves, effectively starving itself before the fungus can kill it. Oh, that's so sad. It's like it, it, it's suicidal. It's like suicidal. Yeah. I feel so sad for it. It's literally <laughs> trying to save its own life and it's just like, I will self-sabotage. It's like if you, it's like getting a blocked artery in your heart and so just blocking all of your arteries so that that blood clot can't get to your brain. Yeah. Oh, that breaks my little banana loving heart. Yeah. So the thing about clones is you can't breed them with other varieties to gain resistance. So in 1890, um, I've just lost where I am on the page. Give me a second. That's fine. I can always edit it out. It's I'll fine. just leave it in. It's fine. It's real. Yeah. It's authentic. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't breed them with other varieties to gain resistance. So in 1890, when the disease was found in its namesake country, it spread. And over the next 30 years, it spread to most Caribbean and Central American countries where bananas are growing because... They couldn't stop it. They couldn't breed them to be more resistant because they can't breed them. They're clones. They're all the same. Mm, that makes sense. It's, um, it's really sad. Yeah. And I think and we, as – oh, no, sorry. I was just going to say, I think, think like um, – I don't know. I just think it's stuff that you literally just do not even think about. Like unless no. you are a farmer or a big food producer, like on mass scale, you literally have no idea all of the things that you have to be so careful and particular about. And like these plants would literally be your children because if they yeah. die, there goes your income, there goes your livelihood, you know, like it's just, it's fucking so, it gives you a new um, appreciation for people who use the land because yeah. the land you are open to whatever the environment throws at you you can protect it as much as you can but at the end of the day if a cyclone is going to come through you can't do shit about that and that sucks um, and, and a big yeah, problem is and the way that we're using the land is causing these things to happen mm-hmm. yeah um, uh, erosion and well yeah. and even just you know, planting huge crops of. I mean, I'm going to get into it later. I'll get yeah. into it later. We're going to cover okay, it. Okay, cool. We're jumping we're ahead. It. We're, jumping, we're just getting we're excited. Jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know now that fuckboy fuck, the fungus, is spread by contaminated soil. So a teeny amount of tainted soil can carry the disease to a new plantation where it remains infectious for decades immune to any chemical treatments 
because we all know it's hard to get rid of fuckboys. Okay. That's, Mm. yeah, that's shit. And now it's time for the question we're all asking. Can we save the banana or are we facing a future upsettingly devoid of yellow phallic fruit? Well, I mean, yeah, I want to know this. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Cavendish has been resistant to Fox so far, its lack of gen- genetic diversity leaves it just as vulnerable to evolving pathogens and pests as the Gross Michael banana. A strain of Panama disease named Tropical Race, 4, TR4 for short, has been a threat to Cavendish bananas since the 1990s. And some scientists worry that we'll be seeing eulogies at the Cavendish's graveside sooner than we think. The 1990s, that's like 30 years of yeah. trying to keep this banana alive and well. Uh-huh. That's a long fucking time. Yep. And to think that it's still endangered is crazy. Yep. This so, is so many red flags, eh? There's so like many something red is flags. something is clearly wrong if after thirty years we are still trying to keep this variety alive. But it all comes down to the fact that in order to make more money, we're just planting huge plantations of identical clones in a really unnatural way. Mm. And so companion planting could offer a low-tech solution. To this problem growing different banana varieties alongside other crops or in alternation with other crops creates a kind of fire break mm. so that future invaders and pests and stuff won't find huge communities of susceptible hosts really close together like they do at the moment and it leverages the natural defenses of sturdier plants that's so interesting I've learned, yeah. I feel like I've learned so much myself. Like, even if no one listened to this podcast, which I know they do because we get feedback and I hear feedback, but even if no one listened to this podcast, this season in particular has shared so much info. Eh? Like, I found so much information that I just didn't even know about, like, ways to help endangered species and stuff yeah really interesting to me it's definitely been i feel like the most relevant season that we've done in terms of of knowledge and i think it's why it can be so hard at times because it is relevant it is real and it is very much a now thing it's the least funny because it's the most serious and the most relevant and the most like oh shit this is actually a big deal yeah, it's in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, so back to Tropical Race 4. One study found that bananas planted in Tropical Race 4 contaminated soil mostly avoided infection if they were grown alongside Chinese leeks for three years, possibly because Chinese leeks release chemicals that kill fungi. Okay. Cassava also clears fields of TR4 thanks to antifungal substances produced by the cassava itself and the microorganisms that shack up in its roots. <laughs> Cute. Shacking up. Shacking up. So it's like a natural 
antifungal, and if we just mixed up our planting a bit, this would help. Well, yeah, because it would, it makes sense because it would uh, emulate what naturally happens out mm -hmm. in the world rather than, you know, you don't find naturally a field acres and acres or kilometers and kilometers of identical trees you find yeah all sorts of you find um, ground cover and you find it all, height and canopy and canopy yeah. exactly you find it all and it's all next to each other it's all peppered throughout like it is not they all help each other it's literally an ecosystem that's geography 101 so it's just I odd to think i think that's <laughs> i think that's biology well, i learned that in geography <laughs> I learned that in geography class, though. I learned about all trees and soil and stuff in geography. Does it not mix in? Isn't that geology? Trees and soil? Uh, no, not no, trees and soil. Not. Rocks and soil. Rocks and soil is geology. Isn't geography yeah, like geogra where countries are? Geography's the land. Geography's the land. <laughs> the land. The land. It's all about the land. I remember learning about like the rainforest and like yeah. <laughs> like canopies. I always and thought geography ground. was just like here's where a country is and here's where its borders are and this is high how the high how the mount high. Oh my! I can't no. talk today. How high the no. mountain is? No, I mean that. Yes, it could be elements of geography because obviously that's the land. But no, it's it's definitely a lot more than that. <laughs> That, um, like the way that plants grew came under biology or botany. I mean, it it could cross over, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, we learn shit off each other. That's the beauty of our friendship. That's how this works. I never took geo uh, geography, and that is very clear. <laughs> Mostly because so I apparently thought it was something completely different to what it was. That's okay. I may have taken it if I'd realized I got to learn about trees. Yeah, <laughs> trees. Trees. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And um, it just, yeah, it makes sense, right? But then I'm like, well, also, that doesn't sound like cha-ching. It doesn't sound like the mm. money to me. So, yeah. It does not. In the lab, Australian scientists are trying to switch on the gene that makes the Cavendish banana resistant to fuckboy fuck. In Japan, they've engineered a new Gross Michael banana with a lettuce-like skin that you can just bite straight through. Oh. And that seems like a super bad idea when you have a squishy fruit that gets shipped all over the world. Like, let's just make it more delicate. Mm, a lettuce-like skin. Hmm. I'm like, how do you transport that? Well, you transport it in, you know, carefully packaged extra plasticky packaging, don't you? That you really don't yeah. think, you know, how I it feel like you're just coming, like taking nestled. its natural defense away. And now you've just got a totally squishable fruit that's going to have huge amounts of wastage. But Jamie, like, why are you doing this? It's money, duh. Why are you making a crappier banana? <laughs> yeah, I don't want crappy bananas. That does not sound like I don't want like a banana something. without a skin. It just seems weird. Well, yeah, and it just seems like it will be bruised. Like you're just yeah. buying a bruise. I don't want to buy a big old bruise. <laughs> <sighs> Gross. Yes, and all, all 
All of these biotech options follow the same monoculture habits that made fuck such a problem in the first place. So they're going to make this lettuce leaf skin banana. They're going to make this fungus resistant banana. And then they're just going to clone it again until something comes along that can take out that clone. And then we go right back to the beginning. Yeah, it's like the never ending story of vegetables and fruits isn't it <laughs> yeah of, of mass production of food and capitalism and wastage and everything everything all everything. the above just life so yeah. can we save bananas probably yes will we save bananas probably no the banana barons will likely stick to monoculture to keep their profits high until there's so few crops left that Cavendish bananas become a rare luxury food and eventually become extinct, possibly taking a chunk of the less domesticated banana virus varieties with them as pathogens like Fock evolve. Oh man, I don't want a life without bananas. Mm. But I have a fun fact to cheer us banana up. Banana cake's everything. Okay. Oh fuck, I love banana cake. Yeah, banana cake mm. is everything. Banana muffins, so lots banana of banana sundae. Muffins. Yes. Mm. But also, I do like mm. banana sundae, you know? I do. Mm. Banana split, so good. So my fun facts are, I have three. Okay. Number one, bananas are scientifically herbs. Really? Mm-hmm. The banana fruit is actually a berry, and the trunk is actually just a stem. It is not a tree, it is a herb. Huh. Shit. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I will try and remember yeah. that for pub quizzes. <laughs> so next time you see a banana tree, be like, look at that giant herb. Yeah, that's a big herby boy. Look at that big ass <laughs> herb. <laughs> um, fact number two. Bananas are naturally radioactive due to their large amount of potassium. I knew this. Mm-hmm. I thought you I would. I love this. I love that, and I I did know that fact. That's it's quite weird when you think about it, eh? <laughs> yeah. And numero three, <laughs> a cluster of bananas is called a hand, and one banana is called a finger. So make sure you go for the middle one. Ooh, a hand of bananas. I knew that, but I don't know why I hadn't thought about the fact that, like, one banana is a finger. It makes sense because there's that small variety called ladies' fingers. Oh, I just fell out of the market and pulled the middle banana up on all of them and be like, the, the banana hand is pulling the fingers at you. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's just doing a little dance, just waving the fingers around her. Yeah, fuck are you? Flipping the fungus. bird at everyone. Yeah, flipping the fungus. That was me giving the fingers to the fungus that killed the <laughs> gross Michael banana because yeah. <laughs> I just wanted the banana. Well, apparently, they're not completely extinct. They are endangered, which is why I've covered them. Mm -hmm. um, but they're very, very rare. Uh, so you can't really get them unless you're in a country that they still have, like, a boutique banana exotic like plant place. Mm, portion of them but or something. I have heard rumours on the internet uh, that you can, in some countries, 
purchase yourself a Gross Michael banana, but they are very hard to come by. Yum. If only. I want one. Oh, my God, same. I know that if I was ever in a country where I could, like, maybe get my hands on one, I would 100% pay some good bucks to get my hands on one of those. (laughs) Divine. Indeed. Um, All right. Is that all for your your, uh, little section? That is all my bananas. Amazing. All right. Well, let's go for a quick break then, and uh, we'll come back to what I have to talk about. Before we serve up our next food, make sure you go and follow us on social. You'll find us on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok under the name Suspicious or Delicious. Just look for the logo with the pink jelly. And while you're there, don't forget to rate, review, or subscribe, because it'll make us really happy. And now on with the show. All right. So these are Barrett shrimps and bananas. Oh my god, they look so cute. Um, let's open them. I just realized I didn't close my door. There we go. Okay. That's them cute. Cute. They smell very fake banana-y, like a Gross Michael banana. Okay. Um, oh god, they're adorable. Can you show me okay. the shrimp up close, please? I want to see yeah. the shrimp up close. Yeah, okay. Give me a shrimp up close, woman. There's a little shrimp. Can you see him? Um, I I think so. Oh, there we go. Oh, he's so sweet. Oh. (laughs) Oh my god, he's so cute. He's giving me cuttlefish vibes. And then. Sorry, guys, I'm showing these to Charlotte on the other camera. Oh, yeah. Oh, the banana's perfect. Very, very detailed little banana guy. They're very tiny and adorable. Um, oh, cute. Okay. Oh, my God. Eat them. What does the banana taste like? Bananary, I hope. Just sweet, to be honest. Uh-huh. Doesn't taste super fake bananary. Okay. Shrimp. And now you're shrimp. It tastes the same. Does it? God damn it. I am. I really hoped it was shrimp flavored. I'm absolutely you... flabbergasted. Also, I nearly fell off my chair with disappointment. Why would you put two colors and two shapes if they taste the same? Well, just what's the point? Put a fucking fish. Put a fishy um, shrimp-tasting candy in there, damn it. Spice things up a little bit. The world mm. needs some excitement. <laughs> oh, apparently, apparently the shrimps are meant to be raspberry flavour, but they're not. But why? They all just taste the same. They just taste like sugar. It's fine. Well, Whatever. Okay. Save Whatever. Them, save- Save them for me. I'd like to give them a little taste test um, okay. when I'm over next. I'll save you some. Uh, oh, my gosh. 
I have got a treat for you today. I'm going to keep eating these, so I'm just going to No, please do. <laughs> That's right. I was just adjusting my top, and then I realized I just thought I... you were, like, moving your boobs around. <laughs> I just realized I was adjusting my top, and then I was like, oh, wait, I'm on camera, and I was about to literally, like, air them out. Like, so when you go like this. <laughs> I have like... seen your boobs before. It's no I biggie. Mean, it's fine. I just, it was that moment of, like, oh, wait, I probably shouldn't do that. Um. Okay, Jamie, today I am going to talk to you about something that I feel very, I just feel, just makes me feel homely and comfortable and cozy. And I'm talking to you about wheat, delicious wheat. I thought you said weed and I was like, really? That's not endangered. No, I, no, it's not. So I'm talking to you about wheat. W-H-E-A-T. Okay. And a very specific type of wheat, which is ancient. It's old as fuck. And it is from a very specific part of Turkey. So back in the day, Turkey was called, well, this part of Turkey was called Anatolia before Turkey even existed. So it was a it was a peninsula on in Western Asia called Anatolia, and that is where this kind of wheat is from. And it is considered to be one of the first products. Oh, FYI, this is called Kavilka wheat. Kavilka wheat. Kavilka wheat. Okay. Kav- yeah, Kavilka wheat. Another name for it is Emma. Wheat, like E M M E R, Emmer. Oh, Emmer. Like Emmer wheat. Um, and mm-hmm. that's the two different names. So it's widely known as Emmer wheat, like Emma wheat. But um, in this Turkey, in modern day Turkey, the region where it is found and grown is called Kavilka wheat. Um, and it is yeah, it's considered to be one of the first types of wheat that has been around since humans stopped like living alone, like nomadic travel, living in a cave by yourself somewhere. And they started moving towards living as small communities and starting to the beginnings of farming and building homes and yeah, all of that sort of stuff. So um everything that I read this there's differing dates for around this time because of course no one's a hundred percent sure they're literally going just by sort of arch- um, sorry archaeological digs and stuff like that um but the dates that I found were basically that this type of wheat was first grown for humans between eight thousand and 10,000 BC, and some of them said 8,000 and 12,000 BC. So it's somewhere around there, which is basically just a really fucking long time ago that this wheat has been around. Hmm. wheat. Mm, yeah, and this wasn't, this wheat wasn't used as like yummy, fluffy, fresh bread, by the way, back then. This was, uh, it was water was poured all over it and it was soaked 
and it was eaten by boiling it and turning it into this like mushy porridgey consistency and that's basically mm. how they ate it i know delicious i know i it just sounds like um porridge with like no flavor like no sugar it no sounds nothing. like how beer like that's what led to beer being invented mm-hmm. yeah because it would be left around and mm. starts to grow bacteria mm-hmm. and oh, um exactly uh and so kavilka is as i said it's also known as emma wheat and it's an ancient hulled and currently endangered grain it's one of the earliest domesticated wild wheat varieties known to humanity. And traces of wild Kavilka wheat have been found in archaeological excavations um, of like settlements in Anatolia, which, as I said before, is a large peninsula in Western Asia. It's part of modern day Turkey. So that's where this wheat, they say, has come from, is, you know, and it was specifically grown there due to the climate climate i'm guessing the climate the climate i'm guessing the climate yeah um kavilka wheat was almost extinct until the mid 2000s and it became endangered because it is really difficult to separate the double kernel grain from its husk so it is hard to get to the grain so that means basically it's not going to be it's a lot more to process it it's a lot more of a longer process that's time that's money that's extra labor it's a lot so it makes sense that it was other other varieties were favored basically oh yeah okay Uh, yeah um so emma wheat is hulled wheat and so in other words it has strong glooms which are its husks. Glooms. 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 Yep. That's the, so cute. It has strong glooms, it's which so are its husks. It's so gloomy. And the glooms enclose the grains and the very, like, brittle shaft of the grain, basically. So on threshing. shaft. Like my <laughs> hair. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, damaged so when you are hulling this wheat the it basically like breaks up into like a little spike and then the little spikes come off those little spikes on the other types of wheat that are easier to produce would just come off and then you've got the wheat sitting there but these little spikes come off and they are still needing to be like milled and produced Oh, sorry, milled and like pounded to like turn oh, into yeah. something that's actually going to be beneficial to humans or gotcha. an- animal feed or whatever you're doing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, traditionally it was cracked and sifted and hand sorted at like a local mill. Oh, gosh. And yes, modern equipment is actually needed to get the intact whole grain for wider production and distribution. So, yeah, again, it makes sense that as time went by, um, there were just, like anything that we've talked about, you know, there are just easier, more quicker, more probably harmful for the environment ways of mm. getting these things. Um, 
So studies have shown that emma wheat show loads of awesome features. So they are actually, the plant is actually favorable farmers because of its resistance to wheat diseases and its resistance to drought. Remember a few episodes back how I was telling you about the old Cornish cauliflower and how awesome it was at preventing diseases and stuff, but they got rid of it anyway. (laughs) Yep. So hopefully that won't happen to Kavilka wheat. But yeah, studies show that it's very resistant, uh, sorry, very resistant to um, yeah, germs, viruses, uh, rust disease, which is specific, and it's fungal, and it kind of, on the leaves of the plants, it kind of looks like a blotchy yellow red stain mm. on the leaves. Aww. It doesn't look nice. Aww. Yeah, and it's, um, the Kavilka wheat is also really, really high in protein, like super fucking high in protein. So the idea of milling it and turning it into other new products for people who like protein products is massive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, it is not gluten free, but it is really low in gluten. So while it wouldn't be beneficial for someone with like celiac disease, um, people who are needing like a lower gluten diet, it's the kind of wheat that would be perfect for someone like that. Oh, yeah um so what's next i guess and i had a look around and i was trying to find like okay cool so it's endangered so where is it and again it's literally still being grown in modern day turkey um and there are like foundations and a group of people specifically there might be more but i was looking at one specific group who are reviving the crop and they're reviving it not just so that they can like dry it and turn it into food for cows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also reviving it as a food group and that will bring in, you know, local money to communities and gives jobs to people in smaller farms and farming areas and stuff like that. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, I thought this would be really interesting to get in, but I was like, what did they do with it? And apparently um, it has survived and it has still been, you know, a staple in a small community's like diet because a few families in the region have used it as, um, you know, that one pot rice dish called uh, pilaf? Yes. So yum. Yeah, apparently it's served with like tandoor cooked goose mm-hmm. meat and it's oh. like a one pot rice dish that they would use with that because this grain can be soaked in water and used as rice basically, like like you would rice or pasta. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so nowadays it's once again like a staple in the region. It's sold as organic Emma flour nationwide. And it's a rich source of complex carbohydrates. It adds fiber and it's um, quite good because the diet around that area is, um, it's known to be quite high in like animal fats. So this grain is obviously a really important part of balancing that high animal fat diet. Um, And yeah, it's used in local dishes. So they eat a lot of goose. So it's eaten with geese. Apparently, it's used in something called milk soup, which I have heard of before. I've just never tasted it. What is milk soup? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's basically like 
Um, I think it's cooked. The the grain is cooked and then thick cream is melted down on top of it and then it's paired with goose. Okay, I just looked it up. There's also like a yogurt soup. There is a really watery soup that I've seen before. Okay, okay. So boil two cups of water in a pot, add vermicelli, cook for eight to ten minutes, add salt and milk. So it's literally like rice and milk soup. Okay. So it's just like, and I guess it would be like super flavorsome depending on what you pair with it, you know? Yeah, or sometimes it's made with yogurt, flour, and eggs. Interesting. Yum. I would so give it, I'd so give it a go. Um, yeah, I'd give it a go. Yeah. It's, um, I also found Kavelka wheat flour is mixed with other flours and it's used for bread. So it is used for a variety of things. And nowadays, it's grown only in very small pockets along the countryside. And it's mostly used as fodder, which is dried for livestock. Because the food industry demands other commercial wheat varieties that can be easily separated from their husks and easy to produce in factories. So obviously, it's faster to turn into money. Other varieties are faster to turn into money versus... Kavilka wheat, which has that yeah. extra process, and it does take more work. But apparently, it's really yummy, and it's got a very like specific taste to it, and it's like absolutely delicious. Um, and now I just really want to find some. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it protein, in New Zealand. It could mm. be good for like vegan protein, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure, because it's a grain. Yeah. Like it would a hundred percent, and like bread as well like adding some extra fiber and protein into bread as well yeah it's um, using a higher protein wheat yeah exactly it would be like people who use um you know like durum wheat or um oh there's that other one called uh uh is it sporgum wheat or I don't oh know. i can't remember there's so many different types there is yeah. literally so many different types of wheat out there that yeah, I don't know. It's just nice to know, I guess, that there is people who are actively keeping this alive. And it's it might not be huge, you know, over like internationally, but uh, it's just nice to know that like it matters to it's people like to a keep local it alive. Food that's being kept alive by local people for local use. Yeah. And like that's yeah. awesome because I think we're so used to being able to go like, yeah, I want something from the other side of the world. Bring it to me on a plane. And it's like, well, no, sometimes you just need to eat what's around you. Eat locally, eat what's in season, reduce your carbon footprint. And you don't get to have all of that. Just eat what's around you. Mm, Yeah, you don't get to have everything. yeah, like don't and it is that, to be able to get everything. Yes, exactly. No, I completely agree with you, especially with the carbon stuff. Like sometimes it just tastes, sometimes it's just nice to have food and to taste food that has not been on a plane. Yeah. But, and which, I feel like, you know, every time I hear about a food like that wheat, I'm like, oh, I really want to try that. Maybe I can get it. And then I'm like, wait, no, maybe I should just calm the fuck down. And if I go to Turkey, I'll try and get some, but like, 
Yeah, exactly. Or if someone something from the other side of the world just to try wheat. Like Yeah, exactly. And like if if you know someone who goes there, ask them to grab you a pack. Or you yeah. know, like there are other ways to do it for sure that can just help. Exactly. But I think it is. It's just that mindful purchase and just being like, Okay, well I wanna try it, but maybe I will one day. But for now, the wheat that we can grow and get here down at my shop down the road, if I walk yeah. down to buy that, that's so much better then yeah <laughs> yeah 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 yep. mm. so yeah yum interesting now I just want to eat like some bread <laughs> oh yeah some nice warm bread so yes. I guess the question is uh gross Michael bananas and wheat yeah Emma wheat suspicious or delicious um delicious for both I'm giving both so a strong too. delicious. It's a strong delicious for me also. I would like to eat them both. I think yeah. that'd be great. Same. Not together, but yeah, both. I mean, I, delicious. I bananas on toast. You could eat them both together. I don't want to eat bananas on toast. That's oh, I like bit... bananas on toast. Yeah, I know. A little I bit have... of cinnamon on there. Sprinkle, sprinkle. No, I just want to eat my banana like on porridge. I'll eat banana on porridge, not on toast. Okay. What about on um, mm. milk soup? I'd give it a go once. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a new fave. I'll give it a go once. Give it a go. All Sweet. right. All right. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Very, very interesting. Very looking yes. forward to the next one. And um, is there anything else that we want to say before we leave? No, I think we've got our, our shameless plug that we insert in the middle now. So, yeah. That's it from us. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we appreciate you. Uh, thanks for putting up with the fact that we sometimes have to record remotely. We know it's not quite as smooth, um, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do at the moment. You so, okay. we'll catch you in a couple of weeks and have a great time. Have a great time. Have a great day. Have a great rest of your weekend. Or whenever you're listening to this, just, yeah. Have a great. I'm going to stop talking. Have a just great. Have a great. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>